Hey, good morning, Hills family. How we doing? All right, all right. I want to greet um, our campuses right now and those watching online. Good morning to our online campus, our community there. Those of you that are down the street and around the world. Those of you that are at Old Town at OTC in Novato right now, Marine County. My people at Tulare Street, what's up? And all around, we're so glad you guys are with us today. I want to handle something on campus right here real quick. I know Pastor Scott said that the... Um, our water pump went down and the kids can't have the water slide. And I thought he was going to say there was a miracle and we poured wine down the thing. And it, <laughs> but then we realized all the moms left and ran to the, but anyways, um, <laughs> kidding. Um, we have pre-filled complaint, pre-filled out complaint cards. You can drop in the offering afterwards. But, um, so, you know, there's still ice cream and games and all kinds of fun stuff they're doing. They're just going to stay dry. I told them to go play in the cross, but whatever. Um, so, hey, uh, you know, we've been in this series and we've been talk, talking about re- really, it's called It Takes a Church, but what we're talking about is the values of this church. And um, o- open acceptance was last week and, and generous service and the value of community and uh, this week, we're going to talk about God's Word. Uh, one of our core values of this church is devotion to God and His Word. And I'm excited to talk to you about it. I, I probably need to get right into it just because I know how this works. Like, once you get me talking about the Bible, we'll be done tonight, okay? Uh, so, years ago, um, I, I was in grad school, and when, when you go to Actually, it dawned on me. I started teaching the refined uh, school of theology here at Clovis Hills. And um, I, I felt bad because I'm making these people read these amazing books and handling like these deep topics like the, the Trinity and systematic theology and like wrestle with some things that you, know, nor, you don't normally wrestle with. And they're having to do it in six weeks and then we're on to the next class, right? And I was feeling bad for them. Um, and then I remembered my experience in college and grad school, and, and the job I had was to expose them to these things, and later in life they can go back to them. And then it dawned on me, like, man, I was exposed to some incredible things in grad school, and, you know, you kind of read them to get the grade, and you're just kind of mowing through them. And I remember I had a whole class on the works of C.S. Lewis and Francis Schaeffer. And I, you know, and um, I had another class where my professor was Henry Nowen's teacher's aide at Harvard. And, and so I, I decided years ago, I was going to start going back and reading these books they made me read and actually reading them for pleasure. And something happened that was really cool. Um, I decided I was going to read the complete works of C.S. Lewis. I got everything I could by him that was published. I had a big stack of C.S. Lewis books. And C.S. Lewis is very British, I don't know how to say it nicely. So it's a tough read, you know, at first, until you get used to his voice and his writer's voice and all that. And I was going through it, and I thought to myself, and I'm looking at this stack of books, I'm like, I, it's going to take me five years to finish this. Like, I do not have the attention span to read one author for five years. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I, so I could barely read books till I got in my early 30s. And here's what happened. It's crazy. Um, you know, I was never diagnosed with ADD or ADHD, but in my, this is how I know I have it, because in my early 30s, I started drinking coffee. All of a sudden, I was like, shoom, focus. You know, I could finish books. I could do projects. I could do things. Like, that stimulant for this crazy sucker, 
Like really like help, help me. So like I, you know, I, I sat down and I looked at that and I was like, I know. So I downloaded the Audible app and I, I bought all of his works on audio. And then I would listen to whoever the narrator is. He's this sweet British man. Read me C.S. Lewis, right? And I'd open the book and I'd read along like I was in second grade and it was awesome. And I could put it on two times speed and you go really fast. And then here's what happens though. When you read a, an author like that for a long time, you feel like you know that person. You do know that person. I know exactly how Clive Stapleton Lewis thinks. Like, I feel like I, I, I know his next move, you know. I reread one of his books last year in 2022, and I was like, oh, it's like an old friend. We're catching up again. And I, I began to like, and it was crazy because I started associating the author with that voice at the same time. And I remember there was a guy in the church, and he's like, hey, I heard you're a big C.S. Lewis fan. I'm like, I totally am. He goes, uh, and you may not know this, but his book, Mere Christianity, was, he never wrote it. It was based on a, a series of lectures he gave over the radio through the BBC in the 40s during the World War II. And he's all, you know, they lost all of those tapes. They recorded over them because they just were recycling tapes, which, oh, it's terrible, right? He goes, they found 10 minutes of his audio from it. That on one of the tapes, and he sent it to me. I'm like, this is amazing. And I sat down, and I began to listen to the great Clive Stapleton Lewis. And as I started listening, I'm like, this isn't him. <laughs> this guy's lame. He's boring. I'm going back to the C.S. Lewis with the whimsical British accent, right? <laughs> but when you read an author over and over, and you get a lot of that author into you, you begin to think like that author. So the title of this message today is called The Book That God Breathed. And I want to talk to you about the Bible today. And if I go long, get over it. Um, <laughs> you guys slept in. And I want to give you a little background of the scripture I just, I, I'm going to read. So I'm going to read to you out of 2 Timothy. And I want to, I want to give you background into um, how, what's going on here because it might give you some insight. So... Um, the book of First and Second Timothy, it's written by the Apostle Paul. And he's writing these letters to his young protege, this guy Timothy. And I want you to think of it this way, to give you a li little more insight to, to Timothy. Christianity is still very new, right? Uh, Jesus' resurrection is within the last 30 years between when Timothy, First and Second Timothy are written and when Jesus uh, was crucified and resurrected, right? So it's all very new. Timothy is really the first generational Christian. See, his grandmother became a believer early on. His mother became a believer early on. And as a little baby, as a boy, as a child, he was just kind of brought in to the faith. There weren't a lot of Christians in the world that time. The, um, at, moderate estimates say there might have been, you know, somewhere between five and seven thousand Christians on the whole planet at that point in history when, when this, this is written. But Timothy grew up in it, right? Some of you, you know what that's like. You grew up going to church. You grew up believing the Bible was a good book. You grew up believing that this was God's word. Other of you, you came to that conclusion, conclusion however you did based on your story. But Timothy is one of those guys. And I always think of a Pastor Dwayne Coleman at Old Town Campus. I'm friends with his father. Um, Dwayne's father is an amazing pastor in our town. His name is J.R. Coleman. 
And J.R. Coleman, um, that's, some of you, that's why you like Dwayne's preaching better than mine. Whatever, I'm not bitter. But listen, pastor's kids always, if they make it into ministry, they're always a little, they're a step ahead of us. But, you know, because they've just kind of sifted through it. Timothy's that guy that just grew up in it. And uh, Pastor J.R. Coleman, when he was telling me a story the first time I met him, he said, he goes, oh, 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 well, you know, I, I, I grew up going to church. I was a drug baby. I go, what? He goes, yeah, I was drugged to church since I was a baby. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm going to use that one in church lots of times. But this is Timothy. Timothy has grown up in the faith. And Paul is now his mentor, and he's writing to him. And this is, this is what we're reading. And I want you to understand, Timothy lives in Ephesus, which is very secular, very dark. There's all kinds of pluralities of religions and philosophies and sexualities and all of that. Very similar to living in the 21st century, believe it or not. It's like living in California. It's like, you know, working in a very secular environment, all of that. And Paul writes to Timothy and he's giving him these instructions. And I want to read it to you right now. It's 1 Timothy chapter, or sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 14. And we're going to read over into chapter 4, verse 5. So I love it wherever you're at, whatever campus you're at, if we could all rise together in honor of God's word. And I'll read from the word of the Lord. But as for you, Timothy... Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers that say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Charge all the duties of your ministry. This is God's word. You may be seated. I love this passage, um, especially that last verse. That actually was uh, um, the verse my pastor gave me when I was ordained as a minister. And, um, you know, he, he told me, keep your head in all situations. Um, avoid hardship. Oh, no, it doesn't say avoid hardship, does it? It says endure hardship. I want to remind, like, that's a charge to all Christians. It's not avoid hardship. It's endure. The difference is we have the one that helps us endure hardship, right? Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. 
and discharge the duties of your ministry. So that's not the verse I want to focus on today, even though that one just when I read it out loud today, it really brought up like a lot of mem- like memories started firing as I was reading it. I want to talk to you ultimately about verse 16 and 17 of this one, because I, I think it um, touches a core value of this church, and not just a core value of this church. It, like, it really is foundational if you want to be a Christian. It's foundational to the life that God has set apart for you. So if you have your outline or your note taker, number one is this, guys. Um, the best way to know God is actually through his word. You have to understand that. This is how we know God is through this book. And I know some of you, you're like, how come he never actually reads from the paper Bible? I'm going to let you know. I have no problem with the paper Bible. I love the paper Bible. I read the Bible from the iPad for this one reason, is that I am old. And even these don't work that well. And I can whoop, make the letters bigger, and it's awesome, okay? But the best way to know God is through his word. And you can hear from God in lots of ways. You can hear God, the Holy Spirit speaks to me quietly in the, in, in, you know, kind of in, in, in my mind, speaks to my heart. Sometimes he speaks through other people. Like someone says something and I'm like, oh my gosh, God, you're talking to me, right? There's been times where, you know, you may be like me and my life as a Christian, I sat through a message and I was like, oh no, the pastor has cameras in his house. And it, it wasn't whatsoever. It was just God was speaking through his word at that time. And sometimes like that, God speaks in all kinds of ways, but I want you to understand something. Ultimately, he speaks through his word. And his word is the filter in which you hear God always. Because you may think you heard from God from another person or another sermon or another, you know, uh, a circumstance in your life or something like that. But if it does not match up with God's word, I'm just going to let you know, you just had bad pizza. If you think God is speaking to you and it's contrary to his word, he's not speaking to you. You have to understand that. God would never drive you to sin. God would not do that. Like he, he, this, this is the foundation. And the best way to know God is through his word. Look what it says, uh, verse 14. We're going to read 14 and 15. This is Paul talking to Timothy. He says, but for you, as for you, Continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. I want you to think about that. It doesn't say like the minute he believed, he became convinced that Jesus Christ was Lord. You, you have to understand that. Belief is a process, right? And there are, there are, you know, usually when you make that first decision to say, you know what, I, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to do that. It's not that you all of a sudden you have this perfect faith and like you're never going to have doubts. And you're not going to do that. Here's what happens though. The longer you follow Jesus, the, the more you walk with him, you, the more you realize, not just from his word, but then from his experience, how faithful God is. And the more you learn to trust him. But you learned it first here, is what Paul is telling Timothy. And then he says, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. Again, This is the other reason, guys, we do growth groups at this church. Is not only do we want to study God's word by ourselves, we want to study God's word with other people. 
Um, you get all kinds of different insights into God's word from other people as well. And sometimes they're crazy. I get that. You know, that, that's part of it. But uh, many times when you shed multiple points of light on something, it becomes much clearer. And you should be in the habit of being in God's word on your own and being with others in God's word as well. And then he, he says, verse 15, he goes, And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I want you to think of this. He says, how from infancy. One of the things you, may, you probably don't realize, it's just something we do here, is uh, we do child dedications here a lot, right? And, and uh, we don't do it just as a simple religious tradition. Uh, we really believe we're dedicating this child to God. We're dedicating the parents to God. The parents are saying, we want to raise our child as a Christian as best we can and church help. Right? One of the things we do, especially um, when they're babies, we give them a, a, a really easy children's storybook Bible. But then if we're dedicating the older kid, a lot of times we give them this one. It's called, it's by Zonervan. It's by a woman named Sally Lloyd-Jones. And it's called the, the Illustrated Jesus Storybook Bible. And um, I remember being in seminary and every night I'd crawl into my kid's bed and we'd open it up and we'd read a Bible story. And we don't give that book to parents because it's nostalgic for me. It's because while I was going through grad school and I'm studying this book deeply, I realized, oh my gosh, this woman has figured this thing out. That every story in Scripture points to Jesus. And she brilliantly does that. And here's what I want to tell you, parents. You should be reading your Bible to your kids as well. Because as she read that, I was picking things up that uh, men with multiple PhDs couldn't teach me. And here's what will happen. I know this. My kids are older now. They do what they want. I'm just letting you know, those of you that have precious little ones. It's really hard when you have precious little ones. It gets worse. I'm just here to encourage you. Um, you won't be as tired. You just lose sleep for different reasons. But here's what I know. Here's what I know. Um, I spent a good part of their childhood every night reading them those stories. And at a certain point, they're going to make their own decisions. They're going to believe what they're going to believe. But I do know this. I have planted the Word of God, and I have planted the gospel in their heart, and I hope it haunts them when they run from it. Actually, let me, let me rephrase that. Children, some of my children are listening right now, and they know. I don't hope it haunts you. I know it will haunt you. That's why I did it. I know from experience as a little boy, my neighbors took me to Awana's and, I, you know, the church bribed me with candy to memorize Bible verses. And then when I went off on my own way and I was running from God, I'd be in sin and those stupid Bible verses would come right back to me in the middle of it. I'd be doing something stupid and I hear, he who hath the son hath life. He who hath not the son hath not. Ah! <laughs> Behold, what manner of love the Father is given unto. Ah, get these out of my head. I'm trying to be naughty. So, this is why you want to plant the scriptures in you. Because here's what I know, and I know about all of our campuses, I know about human beings, we're all prone to wander. And this is like 
an anchor that keeps you from drifting off to sea. I love what the writer of Hebrews says. In Hebrews 4.12, the writer of Hebrews said this, For the word of God is alive and active, right? Even when my faith was dead and I was doing what I want, I do what I want, right? That, that whole, I was in that whole phase of life. The word was active. It was chasing me. It was haunting me. It was beckoning me back to the God who loved me, back to my spiritual home, back to who I was meant to be, back to the life I was always meant to live. It just kept coming and drawing me back because it was living and active. It says it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing the soul, the spirits, the joints, and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. You know, I loved this morning at the North Campus, so you know, um, other campuses, Pastor Scott prayed a blessing over everyone that works in education right now. And um, I, I want to tell you, thank you, all of you, you know, especially if you're working in secular education right now. I know that is a tough place to be a Christian, and we need more of you. So kids, get on fire for Jesus, and let's infiltrate the schools. But anyways, we live in a dark world right now. We live in a world where it has rejected God's word. It used to be, even if you were a nominal Christian or you didn't go to church or whatever, the baseline for all morality in our society was the Bible. Okay, that's not the case anymore. So you have, you have to understand that. Like, I'm not saying, we got to get back to it. Like, I don't know if that, that, that'll be up to God. But I want you to understand something. If your baseline is not there, you'll never live the, the life that you were created to live. I'm just going to let you know. You'll be grabbing at all kinds of things, and some of them might even be good, but you'll have given up the great thing for something good. And in the dark world we live in, the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse, uh, 105, he said that your word is a lamp under my feet and a light to my path. And here's, here's where, you know, my job as a pastor is to um, comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. So this is where I've come to make you angry, Christians. And I can be just as guilty of this because we live in a world that's driven by algorithms now. I, I think many times we let whatever algorithm we're part of, whether it's a, a right-wing one or a left-wing one, that's our light unto our path. We, we see that. That's how we see truth in the world. And I want you to understand something. This is where I make you angry. Um, Prager you and Real Daily Wire, and I could go down the line, uh, rightnow.org, if you're on the left, whatever you are. I, I want to be equal opportunity offensive right now. <laughs> if that's the light under your path, if that's, you're getting more of that than this in your life, you probably are going to stumble a lot. And your baseline for truth is off. And I say that as a fellow sinner, saint, and sufferer with you. We have pre-filled complaint cards. You can just <laughs> drop them in. I didn't like that, what the pastor said. It's on there. Just click the box. So how are we to view the Bible? That's number two, right? What's the position of the Bible in our life? Um, 
See, many people will tell you, you know, you go to a college campus, they'll tell you, oh, the Bible's good for like general morality, but you know, love one another, do unto others, like that kind of thing. But we can't take it too seriously in the modern world because there's a lot of beliefs in it that are antiquated and actually bad for society. And, and they'll tell you that. As a matter of fact, I want to let you know, coming on September, uh, I believe it's 17th here at this church, we're having apologist Frank Turek who's going to come. And he's going to address that. He wrote a book called uh, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And then on Monday, he's actually doing a Q&A at Fresno State that night. It's going to be awesome. He's going to take on everyone's questions. It's going to be an amazing thing. But you'll hear this about the Bible in the secular environments. It's like, well, it perpetuates the patriarchy. Or, you know, it's, it's, it's racist. Or it's this. Or it's that. Or, it, you know, it's a bunch of myths. And, and they've been passed down from generation to generation. And the stories have been changed over the years. And, and we know that because we've all seen the movie The Da Vinci Code. We didn't even read the book, which is a joke too. But listen. You know, and they'll tell you, you know, it's, it's, it's regressive. And, and you, you know, the Bible's been used for awful things in history, right? They'll tell you more wars have been waged in the name of God um, than, than, than more people have died in the name of God than anywhere else. And I want you to understand right away, that's a common fallacy because you have to understand something. In the 20th century, more people died in the name of secular humanism from Nazism, fascism, communism, abortion, you can throw that one in there too. Someone yelled that out. But I want you to understand something. In the 20th century, more people died in that century than in all the religious wars in all of human history. Communist Mao starved to death about 60 million people. That was in one generation. We, we could just go down what Stalin did, and we don't even know that. That was all in the name of secularism, getting God out. Religion is the opiate of the people. So, sorry, I'm on a—some of you prager, you guys are like, yeah, go preacher! No, listen. <laughs> and then they'll say, you know, well, it's socially regressive. You know, like, you know, the Bible perpetuates slavery. If you read the book of Philemon, Paul is telling the, the slave to go back to his master. And I want you to understand something. Um, have people used the Bible to perpetuate slavery? You bet. Christians in the Civil War era, they used the Bible all the time to try and perpetuate African slavery. And here's what I, I want you to know. One, they were misusing the Bible severely. You know, they were like, it's in the Bible. Slavery's in the Bible. What, what you don't realize is the word we translate slave in the Bible is doulos. It means a bondservant. Jewish slavery was you sold yourself into debt. Right? Because of debt, you sold yourself for a limited time. After seven years, the Bible said they were to be released. If they ran away from their, from their master, it was because the master was not good to them and the master wasn't supposed to go chase them down. Right? They also many times were paid while they were in servitude to it. It's very different. The modern word for doulos should not be slave. It should actually be intern. But listen... We all did an internship, we know. But I, I want you to understand something. People have used the Bible to perpetuate evil. People did use the Bible to perpetuate the Crusades, that we need to go and forcibly convert people to Christianity. They, they did. People use the Bible all the time for stupid things. I want you to think about this, though. Um, the Beatles wrote the White Album. It's my favorite Beatles album. 
It's so good. It's a work of art. Charles Manson, when he first heard the White Album, he was convinced that it came from God, um, that the Beatles were the four horsemen of the apocalypse. They were messengers from God. And he began to interpret the lyrics of the White Album to his Manson family. And they went and they murdered Sharon Tate and that group based on his interpretation of the White Album. I want you to think about that. That's certifiably crazy, right? Can I get an amen on that one? I'm, you guys are scaring me. <laughs> Some of you are like, no. <laughs> Got a class for you afterwards. We're going to baptize you again. Um, listen, no one's blaming Paul McCartney for the Manson murders. No one's being like, Ringo, how dare you? The White Album is evil. No one's doing that. That would be stupid if we did that, right? We know that the Manson family listened to this album on drugs and they got it all wrong. But why is it that when people throughout history read the Bible and they get it all wrong and they do evil, you blame the Bible? It's the same. You're like, oh, it's not the same. Oh, nay, nay, it is. It is. You know, and they'll tell you like, oh, it's been changed so much. It's been changed so much. And one, I, I get that. That's cute. That, that actually is information your professors got from really about the 1800s. Because uh, with the onset of archaeology and manuscript evidence, what, what you got is pretty spot on to what it was written. As a matter of fact, almost exactly. You know, they, they thought that the Christians added Isaiah 53 because it described Jesus 700 years before Jesus was ever born. They're like, oh, no, 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 the Christians added that to the Bible. And then they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they found a scroll of Isaiah from 200 B.C., and it's identical to what you have in here. See, if you go to school and you read Aristotle, your teachers will never tell you, well, we don't know if Aristotle really said this or not. They'll just say, no, Aristotle, you know, 300 B.C., he, he did, you know, he, he wrote this, and we're reading it, and we're studying it, and blah, 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 blah. Do you know how many ancient manuscripts of Aristotle we have right now in antiquity? We have five. The oldest one is from 840 A.D. That's a thousand years after Aristotle died. That's the oldest one we have. The New Testament, I don't know if you know this, if you just take original Greek manuscripts uh, dated anywhere between 30 um, and 150 years from, from Jesus' re resurrection, we have 5,795 of those Greek manuscripts. We have, oh, oh and, I, and I'll tell you, um, most of them, yeah, written between AD 49 and AD 95. But Aristotle, we got one from 840 AD, and you know, he was in the 300 BCs. But that one's accurate. But no, the Bible, oh, it's a bunch of myths, and a, you know, it's a telephone game. But we have thousands of them, not to mention 7,974 in other ancient languages, like Armenian, Coptic, Gothic, Ethiopian, Syriac, Georgian, Slavic. Those all date to the second century, the early 100s. Right? And then we have another 10,000 Latin Vulgate manuscripts that date to the 3rd century, the 200s. But you know, just a game of telephone. The evidence is overwhelming, and to, to try and find a contrary argument to it, you can't. See, the Bible is God's word. It says in verse 16 all scripture 
is God-breathed. That means not inspired. It's different. It means it's 100% God, but also 100% the author. And that's the beautiful part about the scripture, is when you read it, like, you can tell when Paul's writing compared to John or Luke. You can tell when um, Malachi is writing or Isaiah is writing, you know, compared to whoever wrote the book of Hebrews. We don't even know who wrote the book of Hebrews. We know she was super smart, but listen. And number three, so we know the position of God's word. It should be preeminent in our life. It should be the foundation of all of our truth. What's the presence of God's word in our life? Why should you make the Bible an integral part of your life? Look what it says in 16 and 17. I'm going to read it again. All scripture is God-breathed. That's actually a word that Paul made up. We find it nowhere in antiquity. Paul was like a Gen Z. He's got his own words going on. No cap? Okay, so anyways. It's a little sus, but listen. It says, all scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want you to think about that. Why is it God-breathed? Why is it brought there? To teach, to, to equip, to train, but so that you may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Here's what I want you to know. This book isn't just truth. It's the foundation of all truth. Recently, I, I, I was listening to a podcast, and um, they had Jordan Peterson on it, if you've ever heard him. And um, he's a psychologist and a philosopher, and I don't normally quote him, but I thought this was pretty, um, pretty astounding from, from a guy that came out of academia. And he was talking about the Bible. I want to read you the quote. He said, It's not that the Bible is true. It's that the Bible is the prerequisite for the manifestation of truth, which makes it far more than just true. It's a whole different kind of truth. And I think that it's not just literally the case. In fact, I think it can be otherwise. The only way, this is the only way to solve the problem of perception. And he's disagreeing with what God's word already said, is that it is the foundation for all truth. In, in, in humankind. See, I was, uh, I'd heard this and then I experienced it. I was recently in an airport and, you know, I'm in the airport and my flight's late and, I'm, you know, I want to get home and I'm tired and there's nothing to do in an airport. I've walked it like 20 times. I got my steps in for the day. I'm like, Ugh. so I sit down and I'm scrolling and I'm, you know, Scrolling, clicking links. I'll buy that. Uh, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Oh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> right? And then there was this woman a few seats down from me. And, you know, she was doing the same thing. And the only reason I noticed her is because she had nails. Ladies, I don't know how you do a phone with nails. Because, like, <laughs> right? And I, I, I thought that was kind of funny. I'm like, oh, it and I look, and there's a couple other people, a couple, like half of the people, over half the people waiting, were, you know, kind of thing. And then it dawned on me, man, it feels like we're like 
chickens in a lab doing some kind of Pavlovian experiment, like <laughs> dopamine hit, dopamine hit, dopamine hit. By that, I'm happy. Dopamine hit, dopamine hit, dopamine. I want you to think about that for a minute. We are all part of a world now where much of what we believe, much of what we do, much of our happiness, much of all of us is dictated by algorithms. You're part of a system. And some of you are like, not me. That's cute. You're part of a system. I mean, most people, like, the way you find love now is right through an algorithm. Like, we're part of a system. That system, I don't think like there's like five guys in Silicon Valley going like, ha, 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 how do we corrupt everyone's soul? I don't think they're doing that. I think they're like, how do we make more money? But I do know this. There is an enemy. The devil is real. And his job is to make your soul sick. His job is to pull you as far away from God as possible. His job is to lie to people so that they would walk away from their creator. His job is, if you're a believer in, in Jesus, to make you ineffective for God's kingdom so that darkness can continue to reign and can continue to work. And what I realize is I like, oh my gosh, I'm part of the system. And what I want to encourage you to do is make this part of your life. This is why we, we study in groups together. As a matter of fact, I forgot to go to it, but I think we have a QR. If you, if you want to get in a growth group and study with other people, do that, please. On a daily basis, study God's word. And I, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Some of you, it's going to be hard. Um, I get a great example is myself and my wife. My wife, um, I remember when she, she first got saved, uh, I wanted to ask her out. She wasn't my wife yet. And I went to my pastor. I was on staff at this little church. And I was like, hey, I, Kelly and I kind of like each other. I'd like to take her out on a date. But I know I work for the church. And that's like, you know, kind of conflict of interest. So I'm asking your permission. And she's a brand new Christian. And I'm like so mature. <laughs> and he did everything you guys did because he just laughed. He started laughing. He goes, oh, Sean. That girl's going to be more spiritually mature than you in six months, so don't worry about that. <laughs> and I was a little offended, but I was like, yes, I can do this, girl. And um, what he knew is he understood something, right? She, um, she was a swimmer her whole life. She swam in college, you, you know, very disciplined. It's just who she, part of her makeup. And from the moment she believed in Jesus, it, that someone said, hey, you should read the Bible every day. So she made it a habit in her life. And she, there was, she'd sit in the same place, pull the Bible out, drink her coffee, do that. And it just became part of her life right away. And my pastor knew me and I'm like, hey, look over there. Hey, look over there. Look at that. Look at this. Let's do this. I, like he knew me. And he knew I probably did not have like a strong, consistent devotional life. And I didn't. And there'd be phases in my life where I'm like, I got to get this together and I got to read this thing. Words, words, words. And there were seasons where I listened to sermons more than I read the Bible. And there were seasons where I didn't read the Bible. But here's, here's what I'll tell you. At a certain point in my life, and I actually learned it watching my wife, is I just, there was a place every day I would go to. Same place, same thing, same routine. And it began to become a daily thing in my life. And before you know it, 
this book was pouring into me and it's changed my life. And I'm at a place now, and this was well into adulthood, but I'm in a place now that if I miss that, if I'm traveling and I'm not in that place and I'm not doing that, I feel like my day is not right. So for those of you that see squirrels everywhere, don't give up. Get this book in you. Because the more you know the author, the more you'll miss him when you don't hear from him. The more you'll miss his voice, the clearer his voice is when he speaks. So, last thing. And it's number four. What's the purpose of the Bible? I want you to get this. You don't get anything today. This whole book, as confusing as it can be initially, the whole thing is about Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, every bit of it is pointing to Jesus. You have to understand that. You know, sometimes people will say, oh, when, when are we going to move on to deeper things, Pastor? I remember, um, you know, someone said that to uh, Martin Luther. They said, Pastor, when, when are we going to study the deeper truths of the God? You're always just going to Jesus and the gospel and Jesus and the gospel. And he said, I'll go to the deeper things of God when you start believing the gospel more. When it starts changing your life. And from Genesis to Revelation, the whole book is about Jesus. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was resurrected, he, you know, he appeared to the disciples and they still didn't understand why he was resurrected. They didn't get it. They were, they were freaked out by it. He'd been telling them the whole three years how it was going to work, showing them, showing them, showing them. And then Luke, who's a doctor and he's a details guy, he, 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 he says it this way, and I love it, in Luke 24. Jesus sits them down, and Luke 24, verse 25, he says, He said to them, How foolish are you, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He's speaking like a good Jew here. Now, as 21st century Christians, we call this the Bible. But a Jew, which Jesus was, he would have called the first five books of, of, of the Bible, Moses and the law, and then the rest of the Bible, they would, he would have called the prophets. That's what they would, they'd call it, the law and the prophets. Moses and the prophets. Look what Luke says. Actually, Jesus says. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. The whole book is about Jesus. And what it's telling, it's telling the story of how humanity turned from God. And we broke this place. We broke the planet with sin. We broke our relationships with sin. We broke our bodies with sin. Death entered the world. Raider Nation entered the world. I'm kidding, Raider fans. I'm kidding. I just, you guys were looking sleepy on me. But listen, brokenness entered the world. And not just like 
not only would we hurt each other and there would be racism and there'd be sexism and there would be, there would be our, our, our identities would get all screwed up and, and we just lost, we became lost because of sin and it separated us from our creator. And every human on this planet has been separated from his creator and God knew that. And God loved us so much that here's what happened. He said, the only way that I can fix this is, is, is and John talks about it in John 1, is that God, the Word, the Logos, the life-giving force of the universe would become flesh and live among us and live a life without sin, a life perfect, and die as a sacrifice for, the, for the, the, the wages of the sin that we owe. And he would take that on himself for the whole world. And the Bible would say anyone that would believe in him would not perish and have eternal life. The whole book is about that. From, from, from Adam all the way to Revelation. And the Bible's super clear that God offers himself to all humans and to you today. Jesus said in, Reve um, I'm sorry, in John 1.12, it says, but as many as received him, to those who believe in his name, He's given them the right to become children of God, that you can come back into a right relationship with the God of the universe, the one who created you, if you'll receive him. Jesus gave this analogy in Revelation 3.20. He said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone listens, I will come in. I will dine with them. Think about this, that the God of the universe saw that you were separated from him by sin. And he came and he stands at the door of your heart and he says, I love you. I have a life for you. I have something I've created for you. Everything else you've been chasing, you've been missing on. The life you've been living on your own will end in nothing but regret. As a matter of fact, John, in his gospel, when he talks at the end of his gospel, he does say this. I don't have it up there, but I'm going to read it to you. He says, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And God leaves you ridiculously in charge of whether you will choose life or death. And this morning, I call some of you to make a courageous decision today. Stop putting it off that the God of the universe has a plan for your life. And every time you say no, I'm gonna let you in on something. I've been a pastor a long time. I've watched this. Every time you say no, not today, your heart gets a little harder. That knock gets a little quieter. And why would you put off your destiny? Jesus said that I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. So in a moment, we're going to pray, and maybe you've never received Christ before, or maybe you did as a young person, but whatever happened, you lost your way. I want to let you know, God is here right now. He's not mad at you. He just wants to welcome you home into his family. So we're going to pray, and if you've never prayed that, I'm going to help you do that. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes, wherever you're at.